This morning's reading is from Luke chapter 2, which you'll find on page 1027. Luke 2, starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And repeating that last verse in Luke's original words, Doxa enupsistois theo, kai epiges erene, en anthropois udokias. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we're sat here this morning or stood here this morning, whether up here or downstairs with the children, that the enormity of what happened 2,000 years ago would begin to shake our life afresh. That, Father, our lives would be so captivated by what happened that our hearts wouldn't stop singing. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a story recently about a little boy who wanted to get a new bike for Christmas. He went to his mum and he said, Mum, you know how Christmas is Jesus' birthday? I think Jesus would really would want me to be happy at Christmas. Uh, would think Jesus would want me to be really happy on his birthday. So I should get a new bike, he said to his mum. His mum, having kind of heard one or two requests for him, replied, I think Jesus actually would be really upset that you're using his birthday to get a new bike. That's incredibly selfish. You're not getting one. Tough love, tough parenting by mum in this instance. The following morning, when mum came down for breakfast and looked at the nativity scene in their home that they'd set up in the house, she noticed something didn't look the way it had been the night before. Something was missing. She looked more closely at the nativity scene that had been there on the night before. And on the spot where Mary should have been was a little piece of paper. 
She opened it. And there was a note clearly written in her son's hands with these words. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again, make sure I get a bike on Christmas Day. (laughs) We smile or we laugh um, because actually we recognize that for many of us in the context of Christmas, it's about the presents, it's about how expensive the presents are, and it's also how good the food is or the party is or whatever else that comes with it. But in that story, the little boy understood that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Christians celebrate Christmas not primarily to consume 7,000 calories in one day in particular, or to buy the latest present that will clearly make their family the happiest they have ever been, or even to hold Jesus' mother hostage to try and get what we want. Christians believe that God visited this planet in the birth of Jesus. And Christmas is the day we've chosen to celebrate God's visitation on this earth. For those of you who aren't here every Sunday or haven't been here during Advent, and haven't, I haven't published it, but one or two of you who are more observant may have noticed that we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. Not only do we sing carols today, not only did we sing carols last Sunday evening, But if we go back 2,000 years ago to the birth of Jesus, the gospel writer Luke records everyone is singing. Jesus' mother is singing. Zachariah, John the Baptist's father, sings. I'm going to look today at the angel's song at Jesus' birth. Sing, choirs of angels. Sing, choirs of angels. So why on this day are the angels singing? Why are they singing? What's it all about? So firstly, I want to say that God's plan for us is always good. That's why the angels are singing. Now think about it for a minute. Mary must have been traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 60 miles away. So she had to travel a distance of 60 miles when she wasn't just a little bit pregnant, but she was very pregnant. We don't know how she got to Bethlehem, She may well have ridden on a donkey or she may have gone on a cart, a little wooden cart where she was jolted around continuously for 60 miles. No shock absorbers, none of the other kind of things we have today to keep her comfortable. When she got to Bethlehem, there was no room for her and Joseph said they had to stay with Joseph's relatives living in the, not in the living part of the house. They had to stay with the animals had to lay baby Jesus in a feeding trough. And do you think during that whole time, Mary was sat there, she was going through this whole experience, and she was thinking, do you know what? Isn't this wonderful? This is great. This is so good. This is just as I imagined it. It's all so easy. I know what God's doing. God's fulfilling the promises that have been heard for over 700 years, and I'm part of fulfillment of that. I don't think... That is what Mary was thinking. In the moment, Mary couldn't see necessarily what God was doing. It's only as we look back and see what God's plans for his people are, do we recognize God's goodness. Actually, in the moment, in the moment we have great difficulty often seeing that God's plan for our life is good. When Mary stood 
or knelt 33 years later watching her own son on a cross, bleeding and dying, crucified? Do you think Mary was stood there going, do you know, God's plan for my life is good? As Jesus was literally bleeding to death. Do you know, God's showing his love for humanity. He's paying the price for his sins and my son is dying. Do you think that's what Mary felt or thought? At the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, it must have been horrible for Mary. Looking forward, I'm sure that Mary didn't understand what God was up to. She could probably make no sense of things. As she looked at this scene of suffering and this scene of and a sense of barbarism, she would make no sense that God's plan for this world was good, although God's plan for her was good. But after Jesus rose again, three days later, looking back, she understood why that ended up being good. Looking back, she understood God's plans were good for her. Now, I know as we've stood here, and particularly in the week we've had, you may actually be going through an incredibly tough time at the minute. You may have had a terrible year. 2018 for you may have been marked by one thing after another. The loss of a parent, the loss of a child, loss of a spouse, or loss of a loved one, or disasters that are going on in your health or in your work or your finances. And you're going through an incredibly difficult and challenging season of your life. And you're thinking, God, what's happening? God, where are you? What's happening? I'm going through all this suffering. Where are you in this? And in the moment, we rarely understand what God is up to. But what we know, we know through our own personal testimony, we know through scripture, and we know through the history of the church, is that God can be trusted. Going forward, we may not understand. As we look forward, we may not be able to make sense of things, of the mess we're in now. But we know God can be trusted, and God can bring, God can bring good out of whatever situation we're in. God's plan for our lives is always good if we'll look to him. So God's plan is good. But then secondly, God's kingdom triumph. God's kingdom wins. I wonder this morning whether you've been, you're someone who follows the news and follows all the different things in our uh, culture at the minute. But I wonder whether you're seeing this morning about the state of politics in the UK. Does Brexit make you sing each morning? with a certain type of song? Or are you there each morning thinking, do you know what, I just want to sing about the politicians we've got. Aren't they just amazing people? Leading our city or leading our country into the promised land. Do you think any Christians in the world are saying, glory to God in the highest about our politicians in their homes, in their countries, all the way around the world? So why are, why are the angels singing in this story? Why are the angels singing? They're singing because God's kingdom wins. God's kingdom triumphs. When people in the ancient world would have read this here in Luke 2, 
They didn't say to themselves, isn't that sweet? Jesus, donkey, trough, stable, bright light, doesn't it just look so beautiful? We have an incredibly sentimental picture of what Christmas is, of that nativity scene. And sentimentality is not what people who read this or experienced this at the time would have seen or would have known when it's read in the first century in Luke 2. When people in the ancient world read Luke 2, that they would, they would react as if they'd touched a hot stove. It'd be like, this is radical news. This is not just a quaint scene. This is radical. What's happening here? Let me give you a little bit of background to this story. A few decades before Jesus was born, the Roman Senate conferred on the Roman Emperor Octavian the title Augustus, which was a religious title. Augustus was said to have divine powers. After decades of war, Augustus brought peace to the whole known world, Roman world, at the time. In fact, around the Roman world, people called Augustus the savior of the world who brought peace to everyone on earth. That's what they assigned to Augustus at the time. And they celebrated Augustus' birthday as a Roman holiday. In fact, the announcement of the emperor's birth was called the gospel. That's good news. This is a context in which Luke 2 is written. So here we have the Roman emperor Augustus, who is worshipped as divine, who was called the saviour of the world, who supposedly brought peace to all the earth, and there's a holiday in his honour in which people and families get together, they drink loads and share gifts. That's the context in which this happens. And the day of his birth is called the good news, the day of the gospel. And then here we find Luke, in Luke 2 here, writing about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Luke tells us that Jesus was born during the days of Augustus, the Savior, the man who brought peace, allegedly, to the whole world. It's in that light that we ought to read the angelic announcement of the shepherds to the shepherds in verses 10 to 14 of the passage you've got in front of you. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels and praising God and said, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. No one who read those words in the ancient world would have failed to see that Luke is talking about the birth of a rival king a new saviour, a true saviour, whose birth is confronting a false saviour, Augustus. Jesus, the saviour, is going to bring true peace instead of the false peace of a false gospel in ancient Rome. His peace will bring peace as opposed to the peace that's promised. The birth of Jesus isn't a quaint nativity scene. 
It's a confrontation. Christmas is a clash of kingdoms. The kingdom of God is coming into the kingdom of this world. There is singing because the kingdom of God wins. It may be months, it may be years, it may take decades, it may be centuries, but the kingdom of God triumphs. That's the ultimate authority. Those who know your history will know that even three centuries after the birth of that little baby Jesus in Bethlehem, the Roman Empire at the time, Constantine, bent the knee to Jesus and declared himself a follower of the true king. God's plan for our lives is good, that's why we sing. God's kingdom triumphs, that's why we sing. Then thirdly, God's character is always humble. We see this underlined in verses 8 to 9. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. What's so significant about the announcement to the shepherds? Why wasn't the announcement made to the priests in the temple? Surely, I mean, where I'm sat here, really it should have been announced to the priests, because they're the proper people, clearly. All the solicitors, all the teachers, or whoever you sit here this morning thinking that's who the announcement of the good news should have been made to. In Jesus' day, shepherds were the bottom rung of the social ladder in Palestine. Shepherds were viewed in the same way in which road sweepers, tax collectors, politicians. During the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, being seen as a shepherd was actually a noble, um, a noble kind of role. But when the 12 tribes migrated down into Egypt, they encountered a foreign lifestyle. And the Egyptians weren't shepherds, they were actually, the Egyptians were all farmers. As farmers, they hated shepherds. Farmers hated shepherds because the sheep and the goats actually destroyed their crops. And the, the war between shepherds and farmers, it's an ancient one, and one that's gone over centuries. It goes back to the time of Cain and Abel, where Cain, a farmer, killed Abel, a shepherd. Over the course of the 400 years that Israel was in Egypt, the Egyptian attitude seeped into the Israelites, who were no longer nomadic like they were before they'd gone into Egypt. As Israelites began to look down on shepherds in the same way that the Egyptians did, Shepherds were viewed as second class and untrustworthy. What we know in Christianity and in Jesus is this. Nobody, nobody, there is nobody who is too low or too disreputable, disreputable or too messed up, too sinful that God is reaching out to you this morning. However much of a mess you think your life is, however undeserving of God's love you think you are this morning, God comes to us and brings his message to us. No one is such a failure that God doesn't want to come and meet with you, doesn't come want to save, with, save you and to become Lord of your life. No one is too far gone that God doesn't want or can't turn their life around.
God announces the birth of his son to the people who were the most despised in the world at that time, the people who are most mocked, who have least reputation. God chooses to come and reveal himself to the humble. I just want to reflect on one thing before we move on. God's work in our world is often surprising. Jesus says it's going to be a surprise to us who we see in heaven. And Jesus says it's going to be a surprise because there are some religious people who you see just don't see it. We think to ourselves, really, that person? There's not a chance they're likely to get into heaven. That person? No, can't be right. They can't be a follower of Jesus. They couldn't believe God would somehow want to speak to them or get hold of their lives. He was the worst when I was at school. Or she was the kind of, had the worst personality or the worst ethics. Can't believe God would come to her or to him. Surely that woman in God's kingdom, in the church, the angels sing because nobody is too far away from God. No one has failed too much. No one is so unlikely that the God who's humble in nature won't reach out to you where you are this morning and say, come. So the angels are singing because God has a good plan. The angels are singing because God's kingdom wins. The angels are singing because God comes to us in humility to us who need him as we come to him in our weakness. Then lastly, God comes to us because he's Lord of all. The angels are singing because Jesus is Lord of all. Listen to the announcement the angels made to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Christian is a person who's made a decision to allow Jesus to be the Lord and Master over all of their life. To call Jesus Lord is not just a religious title. Lordship implies mastery, involves and, and assumes sovereignty. To be a follower of Christ is to be much more like chocolate milkshake, for example, than a, great, a segment of a grapefruit. We're more to be called like chocolate milkshakes than we are to be like grapefruits. You're not a Christian because you grow up in the church. You're not a Christian necessarily because you went through some sort of ritual during your life that you look to. That's like grapefruits. You know, I've done this bit. Here's a little section of my life that's for God. Everything else is irrelevant. But as long as I've done that little section, then I'll be okay. But when all those sections of our lives, the whole part of our life, is surrendered to Christ then it's like the chocolate goes through the whole of the milk and flavors everything. Everything has the flavor of chocolate, not just a little section of this grapefruit. We don't have a relationship section where we say, what I do in my relationships is my business. God, not really interested. We don't have a section that says, here are my finances, God. They're mine, I'll sort them out. Not really interested. We don't have a section that talks about our work and says, my work, that's for me and God, that's for me, God, to sort out. I'll just concentrate on doing something on Sunday for you, or whatever it is. 
That's not what it means to say, Jesus is Lord. That's not what the angels are singing about. To call Jesus Lord, is, which is what the angels sang about, is to say, I renounce, I turn my back on, and I repent of trying to do my life on my own, and I turn to you, God. All I have is yours. Everything. It's all, all yours. To call Jesus Lord, as the angels did, means that you're you know, chocolate milkshake Christian, just like it's, everything is stirred up as part of it. Having Jesus your Lord means that you want him in an increasing way in every part of your life. And the angels are singing. The angels are singing because Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of all. And all means all. I want you to be Lord this Christmas of all of my life. My relationships, my possessions, my work, my opinions. I want to bring it all under Christ. So my question this Christmas as we come to Christmas is, is have you surrendered your life and your future to Jesus? Whether you're young or whether you're a retiree or anything in between. Have you said this Christmas, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life in this year, 2019, in the year ahead. May this be a marking point this Christmas where I surrender it all, that I get off the throne of my own life and stop the pretense of saying the right things at the right time and say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're Lord of all my life. The angels sang at Christmas because Jesus the Lord was born to us, to you and to me. And as we close, just with a simple question, is Jesus your Lord this Christmas? Are you going to take the opportunity to surrender your whole life to him, to call him King, Messiah, everything this Christmas? Have you entirely surrendered to him? Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to leave a moment of quiet for a second, and then I'm going to say a prayer. And I'd just like you to take a moment to think where you are. If anything this morning that struck you, just spend a moment quietly praying and saying, Lord, what do I need to do? Where do I need to get off the throne of my own life and ensure that you are my king, my master? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your plans for our lives are good. That in spite of, for some of us here this morning, we sat with evidence that may seem the contrary. That we want to affirm afresh that your plans for our lives are good.
Father, we thank you that we believe in a God that means that we can celebrate and we can give thanks, that your kingdom wins, that we're on the, the winning side, and that in spite of all the suffering and difficulties, that that truth will help us, hold us, lift us up when difficulty and hardship come. Father, thank you too that if there's any of us this morning who has sat there feeling we've done, messed our life up so much, we've done so many bad things that surely you can't love us. This morning, would you reveal yourself afresh to us? Would your favor rest on us afresh and would you show us your love? And Father, lastly, I pray that some of us would have the courage to make you Lord this Christmas. We'd recognize that there are bits of our lives that are like sections that are unsurrendered, like the grapefruit, and they need, you need to become Lord again of some areas of our life that have become so messy. Father, thank you that you know each one of us. Would you lead us on? Would you, as we surrender, as we offer our worship and our praise, would be a church that's able to sing with the angels that we have heard the good news, not just heard it, but it's changed our lives and we have something to sing about. In Jesus' name, amen.